appreciate it. So today I want to talk to you about prioritizing our lives. And I want to talk to you about rule of life, the rule uh, of, of our lives. Um, there was an assignment that, that I had this year that really spoke to me. And I want to welcome you to participate in this assignment with me. Um, by the way, I want to thank everyone who prayed for me. I got A's. I got A's my first semester. I, and give thanks to my wife who had to proofread every one of those papers. It's, it's, it's enough to be married to the man, but to read his papers. That's a, okay. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, just thankful for you. Thank you for your prayers. But um, uh, I got in contact there with a teacher, Dr. Brad Johnson. He was one of my teachers, and he was really good about helping us to focus on what matters in life. What are the things that really matter? And he asked this question that I asked Cheryl this. I went into her office, and I, and I asked her, Cheryl, what's your rule of life? She's like, what, what, what are you talking about? Rule of life. You know, I just dropped a very unfair question on her lap. And I said, if you had to ask, your, if, if you had to answer, if I said to you, what are the uncompromising truth in your life? Things that you will not waver from. What are they? Boy, that's, uh, that's a lot to give to somebody to think about and to answer right away. And I want us to think about those things. I'm not giving you an assignment per se, per se but I think that you need to ask yourself that question. What do you believe? What do you believe that needs to be uncompromising in your life? What are the things that you value that need to be guardrails for you? Now, what do guardrails serve for? What are the purpose of guardrails? To protect you from going off. Your life is like a river. Bob Meriden and Seven Simple Choices to a Better You says, says in that book that our lives are like rivers. There's power, there's energy, and we need to set banks to make sure that all that is going in the right direction, Right? What are the banks in your life? What are the principles? What are the pillars by which the structure of your life is is manifest? Now, Jesus is the wonderful foundation of our life. He is our salvation. He is what we stand on. He is the rock. And so he's done everything that we need for salvation. However, it is our responsibility to build ourselves up in the Lord. Okay? So if we're supposed to build ourselves up from the Lord, as an illustration, we're responsible to put the pillars, right? To put the main structures, the beams that will hold up the entirety of our lives. We're responsible to build ourselves up. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16 says this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Watch yourself and your doctrine. Pay attention to your life and your doctrine. Persevere in them. For in doing so, you will save yourself and your hearers. In other words, this is what he's saying. What you believe has to line up with how you live your life. Right? So you have to pay attention to those things. Make sure that the truth that you say you believe is the truth that you're actually walking. In other words, if you're preaching it, you got to walk it. Right? If you're talking the talk, you got to walk it. And by the way, that doesn't just come easy. We have to be mindful to pay attention that what we teach is actually what we live. How many of y'all know that I can preach the gospel really well and go home and live like hell and leave my home to hell? I can. I don't want to do that. Right? I have to make sure that what I'm preaching is actually the life that I'm living. And if it's not the life that I'm living, then I shouldn't preach it. Are you with me? 
So, so what are those things that you would say, the things that you believe that are pillars in your life, things that you're practicing? Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. They will affect you and those who hear you. Now, let me clarify. It doesn't mean salvation is a work that only God has done. But we know that we're saved and that the Holy Spirit is in us when we're living a lifestyle that honors God. And we also know that that doesn't come easily. That holiness is a matter of training, right? So because we receive this grace and we pray for this grace and we fast for the power of the Spirit, we line up to his word, to the work of God, and we begin to take baby steps until we walk fully, until we run full force, right, in a sense. Uh, and, and we walk in the saving work of God. I'm saved by his grace. I'm saved as he makes me holy, and I'll be saved as I appear before him, right? Salvation is a process. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not a one-time event. Just like marriage is not a one-time event. A wedding is a one-time event, maybe, you know, but not marriage, right? And so this is how you need, you and I need to see salvation. Not a one-time event, a continual process where God is working in our lives. So what are the truth, uncompromising truths in your lives? What are the things that you will hold on to uh, as you do life? You know, some of us had an incredible 2015. 2015 was a great year. At The Rock, 2015 was an awesome year. God moved. People were saved. People were baptized. God blessed in every way here at The Rock. So we're thankful. Some of us may have had a great year. Some of us may have had a year that's like, what, 2015? I'm, I'm still in 2013. What's happening? Right? You know, it's like, it's like a blur. What just occurred? And some of us had a terrible year. We can't wait till this year ends. And so I, I understand, I understand that I'm praying for God's strength and his comfort to strengthen you to move forward, to look forward to another year. And some of us have resolutions. Some of us have made up our minds that there are resolutions, things that we're going to resolve to do this year that will change our lives. And, you know, a lot of times I kind of say, you know, resolutions don't work because the reality is we break resolutions. Raise your hand if you ever had a resolution you broke. Right. I'm holding up every toe. Right. Listen, you know, it, it, it happens. But you know what? If you have resolutions, I want to I want to congratulate you. I want to encourage you make resolutions, because if you have resolutions, you're in touch with the reality that there is something in you that needs change. And I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit, too, in our lives. OK, so if you have resolutions, good for you. Because you have hope in Jesus. And Jesus is that hope that can change us. Right now. Now, alongside with that, I just want to encourage you. Think rightly. You may fall short again, just like fasting. You make many mistakes in the process of your resolution or keeping that resolution, but get back up again. God is not quitting on us as much as we quit on ourselves. Amen? So if you have resolutions, praise God. This year, I believe that as we look at the rule of life, the pillars, if we focus on those, we're going to find strength and wisdom to make the right resolutions and to keep resolutions. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't fall short, but it means that we will find strength to get back up again. Now, I'm going to share with you, in my own words, in a very non-sermon-like way, just testify to you about resolutions, uh, truth for living that I have to hold on. These are my life. If I don't hold these things my life is a mess. My family's a mess. The ministry does not work. 
And I believe that these four things that I'm about to share with you is true for each and every one of us. It's just that they're manifested differently. I believe that these things are just, we're going to have different words because we have different revelations and we're in different places and so things are going to look differently. But I want to talk to you about four pillars, four things that have to be a part of my life. If, if, if I'm going to continue to grow in the Lord, walk in His grace, love my family, and be effective in ministry. The first thing is this, first rule of life for me, I must seek God first above everything. God has to be my number one priority above everything, above anyone. I must seek God first. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 13. For I know what plans I have for you, plan to bless you, to, uh, to give you a hope and a future. Uh, plans to bless you, declares the Lord, to prosper you and, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with half of your heart. That's not what it says at all. It, okay, and I want you to read a translation you can read, but if it says half your heart, you let go of that translation. Listen. With all of your heart. So there I find the, rem- the, the, the answer. I will find God when I seek him with the entirety of my heart. With everything that I care for. With everything that I love. With everything that I long. Running full force for God. Before I came to Jesus, I dealt with a whole bunch of fear. And a whole bunch of hopelessness. And a whole bunch of anxiety. And I was pretty much rebellious. Instead of acknowledging all that hopelessness that I was feeling, I was trying to medicate all that hopelessness. In the process of that, in my rebellion, somebody shared the good news with me. I gave my life to Christ, and I, it, changed my life. it changed my life forever. I've never even been back to the world. Why? Because it's not like I had anything to go back to anyway. Are you with me? From that moment on, every experience that I've had, every trial that I face, every suffering and every joy has been the culmination of one whisper, one word from God. That word is this, Carlos, seek me and you will live. I have secrets that I want to reveal to you. Come closer to me. I have things that I want to share with you. Come near to me. That is the heart of God for me. If I were to tell you what my purpose of life, what my, what my one message is, this is it. Seek God with all of your passion, with all your heart. Every sermon that I preach is basically the same thing. I don't know how to preach anything else. Seek God. Seek God with all that you are. Spend yourself for who he is. I used to live my life reckless. Now I want to ruin my life for him. And again, I said that before last week. What I mean by that is I want to be so alive and awakened in God that even the world considers me that the world says we have nothing to do with him. He belongs to the Lord. Right? And so because this is the number one thing, the number one rule of life for me, I realize that this is, number one, the joy of my life and also the agony in my life. This is the peace in my life and also the cost to warfare because sometimes you gotta, you got to go to warfare to get to God. Are you with me? You got to let go of things and you got to pursue God with all your heart to get to God. You got to war against your flesh. This is the this is the very thing that the only thing that satisfies me and it's also the thing that increases my hunger for God the most. 
So I set my mind to seek the only one that satisfies me. Not a person, not, not a person here on earth, not necessarily a ministry, not a thing, not accomplishments, not success. Only God. Only God. So because this is a pillar for me, this is where it comes practical. Because seeking God, I say it's my rule of life. It's the number one thing that I uphold. Now I'm going to watch my life and my doctrine closely. And I'm going to say, okay, how does that belief line up with what I practice? In other words, now I'm going to set steps and figure out what does it look like for me to seek God? What does Carlos do so that on a daily basis he is seeking after God? That's your homework. What do you do on a daily basis to ensure that your number one priority is to please God. I bet that most hands would ra- most people would raise their hands today if I said, what's your number one purpose? Your number one purpose is to please God and find favor with him. I bet you everyone would say, yes, that's me. But I bet you that very few of us actually talk, think about strategically how we're pleasing God every day. What are the things that we're doing on a daily basis to show that we actually care about seeking God? Or are we just expecting that to happen? Are you with me? And then sometimes we're like, I don't know if I'm hearing God. I can't hear God. I'm not finding his answer. Well, how much strategic thinking, critical thinking are we doing about seeking God? How mu- what are we doing in our discipline for living that helps us have ears tuned to God? This is where fasting comes in. If I'm hungry, and I'm going to be hungry for 21 days, Lord of God, I want to hear a word from God. <laughs> Somebody, has, something has to sustain me. Are you, are you, are you talking, you, you hearing what I'm saying? So then I have to have disciplines for me. For me. I want to ble- praise him in the morning. I want to think about him throughout the day. And I want to end my day taking inventory of my day. Seeing how I've blessed the Lord and what the Lord has said to me that day. And also allowing him to lead me in prayer. The psalmist tests that he wakes the day with his praises. So I want to wake up. Practically, I wake up in the morning. First thought, Lord, I just want to praise you. I want to give you thanks ahead of time. I want to bless you for who you are. If that takes a minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. For me, I think it's important. The first thing I do is praise God with my thoughts, with my prayer. Are you with me? Throughout the day, again, I'm, I'm constantly uh when the thought comes to mind, I ask God in the beginning of my day, God, I want to think of you. I want to think of you. I want to live with you. I want to hear you. Open up my eyes. And I'm looking for God to speak to me. And at the end of my day, when I pray, as I seek God, I, I realize that sometimes when I pray, I already have an agenda that I come before God. And it's not that God is not interested, but sometimes it's very important to say, God, I don't have anything to say to you right now. I just want to know what you're saying, and I want to partner with what you're doing. What is it that you want me to intercede and pray for? What is it that your kingdom needs right now? What is it that you want me to stand in the gap for? And I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray that, what I'm saying is, God, I want my heart to be open to what is concerning your heart. And I'm telling you, God will begin to put things in your heart to pray for that you wouldn't pray for. You just wouldn't pray or think about. But the Holy Spirit will begin to drop drop things in your heart and people to pray for. And that's when you know, man, you're doing something greater than you. God is moving in power. I don't know how many people have come up to me and said, man, pastor, I was praying for you. This is what the Lord put in my heart. And they were right on. They were led by the Holy Spirit. Right? So this is a beautiful thing. So 
I, want, I have no answers for you. I'm not giving you practicalities. What I'm telling you is you need to be about seeking out. How does it look like in your life to seek God on a daily basis? What strategies do you, do you need to set in place to begin to seek God on a daily basis? To make sure that that is the number one priority. You know, what's your plan for reading the word? What's your plan for prayer? How are you seeking God on a regular basis? The second thing that the Lord has convicted me, a pillar that I believe is vital to my family and to my health. Number one, seek God with all my heart. Seek God first above everyone, anything else. Number two, I have to keep the Sabbath. I have to obey God's command to keep the Sabbath. And I want to explain to you what I mean. Traditionally, the Sabbath was for the Jews Saturday. Saturday was the day that they took and they removed themselves from doing any work whatsoever. It was supposed to be a day of rest. When God created Adam and Eve, immediately after he created them, the first thing they were called to do was rest because it was the day of rest. Seventh day was the day that God rested. And the intention that God had there was not just to keep us from doing anything, but rather to help us to delight and enjoy him and what he has given So I define Sabbath as a day where I rest and enjoy everything that God has already given me. Okay, Now, the Jews would practice, and some people would practice that as a Saturday in a legalistic form. I'm not condemning them. It's not what what I'm doing, but they practice Sabbath. Most of us believers, we, we believe Sunday is our day of rest. We come to church. We try to have fellowship and keep the day uh, uh, as a day of rest, and we try to be intentional. For me, Sundays are not necessarily a day of rest because I'm ministering, I'm praying, you know, I'm working. Sometimes I'm called, and, and just crazy things happen on Sunday, but I love my Sundays. So I have to be intentional about looking for a day where I actually rest. Sabbath, by the way, is not Sabbath. It's not a good idea. The Bible doesn't say, you know, I think it'd be a good idea for you to keep the Sabbath. But I think that's how many of us treat it. The Bible commands us to have a day of rest. It's a commandment. So if we're living our lives without resting, this is not pleasing God. The whole idea of God resting and God rested on that day, it's not that he was tired. We're talking about the God of the universe. It's not, it's like, oh, my, omnip- my omnipotence has ran out. I need to sit back and drink some Kool-Aid. You know, it's not, it's not that. But that God, in his greatness, saw the value of delighting in what he had created. Now us, do you think we should take our cue from God here? Listen to what uh, Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 13, says about fasting. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, in other words, if you keep yourself from breaking my Sabbath and you keep yourself from your pleasures and seek me on the holy day and call the Sabbath of the light and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or, or talking idly, then you shall take the light in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I'm going to translate what that means. Basically, the Lord is saying, if you would stop being so busy about 
working on my Sabbath and doing on my Sabbath, on my day, on a day that I've called you to rest. If you would stop doing that and instead you would make this day a day that you delight in me, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to really, really delight in me. You're going to enjoy my presence. Let me tell you something. Prayer at first can seem like work because we don't know how to pray and we're training and we're growing, fasting. But once you've tasted of the Lord, once you've encountered his presence, you're like, one more again, one more again. We're doing this, right? It's incredible. And so some days they're tough, but you know, you keep pressing because you've tasted of the Lord. And once you have that, you know, this is, what the, this is what the Lord is saying. I will be your delight and I will bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I will prosper you. I will prosper you. Just this is, this is my word for you. This is my word. The Lord has spoken. You know, I'm going to tell you something I feel really spiritual about. I, I love Chick-fil-A. I, I love me some Chick-fil-A. I can have Chick-fil-A. Today, if you get me Chick-fil-A, I'd be excited. But you can't get me Chick-fil-A today because they're closed on Sundays. And sometimes that hurts me deep in my soul. <laughs> but that's because I didn't plan appropriately. I should have bought my Chick-fil-A yesterday to eat it today. No, <laughs> right? Somebody said that to me first service. But listen, Chick-fil-A is a wonderful business, aren't they? The number one chicken business in America, right? Incredible. They're closed on Sunday. The best chicken business in America close on Sunday. Isn't that crazy? It's like an oxymoron. Chicken close on. I, I will not accept it. Right? But just think about that. God is blessing them because they set standards. The business, they want to honor God. I believe strongly that if we make a commitment of having a day of rest. Now, Romans 14 says, you know, some people consider one day a day for the Lord. Some people consider all days. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. And I will encourage you this. What you need to think about, what you and I need to think about is, what does rest look like in our lives? And I will, com- I will confess this to you. I am poor at resting. But when I am not resting well, my family suffers. When I am not resting well, my wife will drop kick me. In the name of Jesus. With his blessing. Are you, listen, resting is vital. You know? And every time I'm not resting, she hurts. My children hurt. Because when I don't rest, what I am communicating is I don't have time to delight in all that God has given me. I don't have time to delight in you. I don't have time to delight my children. Ministry is more important. And if I don't have a stable home, I don't have a stable, nothing else is stable. Are you with me? So then I have to ask myself, how do I strategically rest? It's not just something that I'm hoping will happen. It's something that I'm planning for. A lot of marriages that, I count, that I've counseled throughout the years, they've struggled. And I asked them this question over and over again. And I want you to ask yourself this question. If you're married today, I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you sat with your spouse and you talked about the things you look forward to doing together? What are the things this month that you're planning to do together that you look forward to doing so? Most marriages that are struggling would have told me, I think 100% of the marriages that, I've, that have been struggling, that have asked me what they need to do. When I've asked them that question, they're like, uh, like doing stuff? Um, like together that we enjoy. Mm. Right? It's like when you don't have a plan to enjoy each other, you've made a plan 
not to enjoy each other. When you don't have a plan to enjoy your children, you've made a plan to have TV be the delight of your children. I want you to think about these things. Resting is valuable. Now here's something else. Be meaningful about your rest. What does rest look like? Rest does not look like, you know, I'm not condemning TV. Please, listen. But if you're like this when you're resting. Huh? You know, be intentional about your resting time. I'm going to confess again. You guys, I'm going to feel better after this, I'm sure. There were times I come after church, I'd be so exhausted on Sundays, I just want to go home and I just go to bed and I turn on the TV and for some reason I'm still anxious, I'm still, I got frustration or, or worries in my heart. I'm like, what's going on? And the Lord just told me, you're not resting the right way. And the things that you're watching, they're not bringing rest into your life. Yeah. Turn that off and go play a board game with your kids. Right. I'm going I'm to walk away from that one right now because... Somebody just gave me the look and they, (laughs) you know, what is, what does rest look like? I'm just kidding. What does rest look like? How are you resting? It's so vital. It's so vital that we pay attention to that. Number one, seek God first. Be strategic about how you're seeking God. What does that look like? What are you planning to do? Rest. What does your rest look like? When are you resting? What commitments have you made to your family, to your children, to your wives, to your husband? Are you keeping those commitments? God wants you to keep those commitments. God calls you, commands you to have rest. What does that look like? Third, I have to seek the Lord with all my heart. That's the first one. Second, live accountable. Excuse me, uh, keep Sabbath. And the third is live accountable. I got to live a life of accountability. Hebrews chapter 10. The word of God reads this way. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, let's seek God. We talked about that. About that. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may encourage one another. Verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We talked about fellowship and I want to talk to you about this. Accountability is very important and there's different facets of accountability that are valuable. Number one, I make a commitment to be here in church on Sundays. I got to hear the word of God. I got to worship with the people of God because it encourages me to keep living a life for God. Amen. Secondly, I'm going to look for times I can just fellowship. I need to begin to build relationships with people that I can just fellowship and be myself and just enjoy their company. Third, I got to look for a place where I'm not only fellowshipping, but people are holding me accountable to make sure that the bad words I say Monday change so that I don't say them on Tuesday or Wednesday and next year, right? I want to seek people that I build those relationships so strongly that I can tell them, you know what, I confess to you that I'm struggling with pornography and I got to give that to God. Would you hold me accountable to make sure that I'm not living in that lifestyle anymore? I want to honor God and my wife and my children by living a life of purity before God, Right. right? We all need accountability, right? And there's different levels of accountability and all of it is valuable. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Fellowship is vital 
for you to keep strong in the Lord. Every facet of fellowship. You know, uh, somebody came up to me and they said, Pastor, I'm here. Every son, you got me, Pastor. This is my home church. I'm going to be here. If you can, if I can do anything for you, just let me know. I'm only going to be here once a month. But, uh, you know, if you need anything, just let me know while I'm here. Sometimes maybe more than that because I'm going to be away. But you can count on me. Great. We have to come up with a quarterly opportunity for you to fellowship. <laughs> you know? It's like, I, I, I mean, it's, you know, today's, today's church attendance it's very different. People kind of just do church sporadically, and it's because there's been a switch. We tend to do things according to what we feel we need. There's not necessarily a covenant anymore when it comes to the way that we see church. But can I, I'm not condemning. Can I encourage you to think about it this way? Worshiping together with other believers will have a direct impact on how passionate you are about Jesus, how passionate you are about the Lord. I'm not saying you can't miss Sundays. Let's get away from legalism, you know? I mean, life happens. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your family. What I'm saying is, are you strategically thinking about worshiping together with other believers? Because it's vital for you to be encouraged, right? Strategically thinking about times of fellowship, you know? Times that you have people over, that you go over to someone's house. or time, people that, Strategically thinking about making connections. Some people come to church and they're like, I don't, I don't have any friends. I've come to church for so long, and nobody is asking me to go with them anywhere. It's like, you know, why don't you ask somebody? You know, why don't you take somebody out? Why don't you prepare? Why don't you do something? Just get connected somewhere. Don't wait for somebody to reach out to you, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm Dominican. And what that means is life is like a party. The minute island people, life is like a big celebration. I'm always going up to people like, how you doing? How are you? I love you. You're my brother. It's like, no, you're not. No, you are really. <laughs> everything, is, everything is a big celebration. So these things, making connections with new people comes easy to me. It's harder for some of you. I understand that. But this is why you have to be more strategic about reaching out, making connections. You cannot keep a fire for God without accountability. You cannot keep fire for God without all these different facets of accountability. Fellowship, worshiping together, and brothers who hold you accountable, sisters that hold you accountable in your walk. Now, the last thing I want to share with you is this. I'm going to recap on everything. I got to seek God, and I got to have a strategy for it. I got to keep, I got to rest, and I got to have a strategy for it. Third, I got to live accountable, and I got to have a strategy for it. And the last thing is this. I have to expect the supernatural in my life. I got to expect the supernatural in my life. Let me say this. I got saved by God's power. He didn't save me with his power so that I can live by my strength. Right? I should be awakened to God to the point that I am looking for ways that he's speaking to me and moving in the lives of others and asking him, Lord, I want to be a conduit for your glory. In other words, the power, the, the, the surge of your glory, let it come through me and let it minister to others. I, I have to be aware that God wants to do that because if people are touched with the presence of God, it's because I allow my life to be touched by the presence of God and I take that to my community. 
I have to keep my eyes open to the ways that God wants to heal, move, save, deliver, bring freedom to people. Because this is the heart of God. God didn't create men so we can just sit back. God created men so that we can be a part of his creative process on earth. When now God, that since he's redeemed us as believers, now his kingdom is alive in us. You think his kingdom alive in us is not going to affect people around us? You have a kingdom of peace in you. You should, people should say, man, when you're around, I just have a level of peace. I, I can't even talk. I can't even explain. When you're around, there's, I just have joy. I'm just glad that you're around. That's the kind of Christian you should be. Not the kind of Christian that's like, when you're around, I feel judged. Are you with me? People should say, there's a joy and a peace. There's a conviction. There's conviction. That's different, by the way. There's joy and peace when you're around. Man, I want my life to be saturated, drenched with the glory of God. I want to read to you this quote. My favorite author ever, other than Jesus himself, just just in case, I don't don't want you to miss that, is A.W. Tozer. He's written several books. Uh, One of them is The Pursuit of God. I highly recommend you to get that. But... uh, Um, This is a quote from A.W. Tozer, and he says this, There is today no lack of Bible teachers to set forth correctly the principles of the doctrines of Christ. But too many of these seem satisfied to teach the fundamentals of the faith year after year, strangely unaware that there is in their ministry no manifest presence, nor anything unusual in their personal lives. They minister constantly to believers who feel within their breast a longing which their teaching simply does not satisfy. And I want to I want to rephrase. I want to tell you what that means. He says, you know what I notice? A.W. Tozer says, you know what I notice? I go around the churches and I find teachers and preachers who are preaching the word of God and they're preaching the tr- true word of God. But as they keep preaching, it seems unbeknownst to them, they're unaware of the fact that there's no presence of God. There's no anointing. Nobody's feeling God doing anything. And not only are they unaware of it, but I see the churches and they're filled with people wondering, isn't there more to life than this? And then he says in another quote, the church is filled with dead preachers who are preaching dead sermons, standing behind pulpits that are dead. Everything is lifeless. Man, I don't want that to be the reality of my life. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't get saved by God's power so that I can become religious, mundane, and judgmental. I got saved by the power of God so that I can have life and bring joy and bear fruit. If we're going to do that, we have to say, God, we want you to use us supernaturally. We set no limits on you. Have your way. Would you stand with me? So how do I set strategy for my life so that I can Expect the supernatural. Well, I think fasting is one of those good ways. It's a strategy to expect God to do super, a supernatural work. I think, you know, seeking God first, obviously, those things are going to fall in line with that. Um, but I, w- I would say that I also am mindful and I pray, what divine appointments do you have for me today? In other words, who do you want me to minister to talk to today? Who do I... Pr- always looking for an opportunity to pray. Somebody says, pray for me. Stop right there. Pray right then. Who knows what God can do? 
Sister Laura was here in staff meeting and she was complaining. I don't even want to ruin the testimony. What was going on? Can you can you just shout that? This is what's funny about the testimony. We're all there. She's just, you know, she, we can tell she's in pain. And so we start praying, and then she's praying. And then Laura says, oh, it's gone. Says, Stop it. We're praying here. Like, no, it's really gone. Like, you're praying, so. <laughs> it really kind of, it was funny. It's like, here we are praying for the supernatural, and it happens. And we're like, no, come on. <laughs> you have bad sense of humor, Laura. <laughs> Expect the supernatural. Expect the supernatural. God heals. God delivers. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. Let's pray. You're here today and you say, Pastor, this year, as I resolve to seek the Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about these four things and I'm going to set strategy. I realize that my life lack, lacks guardrails. It lacks banks. I need to sit and think about the ways that I'm going to seek the Lord. Strategically have a plan for that. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Yes. Father, right now. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus. So many people here, they're saying, I want to be strategic about my growth in the Lord. And Lord, they raised their hands, and so I'm pleading for them. I'm asking you, Fill them with the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your wisdom, Father. That they would now sit and talk about these strategic ways. And that they would, Father God, just uh, uh, just write these things down and celebrate your work in their lives. I pray for marriages. Marriages have to do this together in some areas. And I'm praying, Lord, for unity, for harmony, for joy, Lord God. I thank you for homes that will be regained because of this. I thank you for children that will be regained because of this, Lord. Thank you, God, for winning our hearts, Lord God, this way. I just bless all those who raised their hands, who resolved to change, resolved to be strategic about their growth in you. Bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we've talked a whole lot about expecting the supernatural. Maybe you're here and you're saying, in 2016, I'm asking the Lord to do this in my life. I want to draw near to the Lord or uh, whatever it may be. You have something that you want us to partner with you and pray with you about. Would you come to the altar? We love to pray with you. 
we love to pray with you. You're saying, Pastor, pray with me. I, I need a miracle of healing or I need a miracle of freedom and deliverance. And would you pray for me? Or I need a miracle of, of peace in my life. I battle with anxiety. I, I want to let it go. I want the peace of God in my life. Would you come up to the altar? We'd love to, love to pray with you today. Would you come up to the altar? Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. It's very serious. This moment, life can change forever for you. You haven't given your life to Christ. You're saying, today I make a commitment before you to serve the Lord. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Not only that I would be saved, but that His Holy Spirit would fill me. If that's you, would you come up to the altar right now? We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. Amen.